your Bibles, go ahead and open up with me, if you haven't already, to Ezra chapter 8. We got two weeks left in this series, walking through the book of Ezra, which we've been looking at. Um, God's people returning together, God's people rebuilding together, God's people repenting together, all right? Um, so we're going to finish up the series here in the next two weeks. Um, before I jump to chapter 8, chapter 7, Adam talked about last week, we saw that Ezra, right, is a man who set his heart's affections on the word of God, on the law of God. As a man who set his affections on the law of God, all right, is making his journey back to Jerusalem to teach God's people about God's nature and about his law. And to set up a, 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 a form of accountability, right, for God's people. Hey, this is, this, this, is the, this is the law here. This is God's way. This is God's design. And Ezra was sent to teach that. Because inside, inside of God's design is flourishing. And blessing. And fruit. Right? He made that promise to them. The promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. In which I cause it to rain. Right? God's design is beautiful. There's blessing in God's design. And so Ezra was sent to teach God's people God's ways. And so then here in chapter 8. You probably have guessed by now why I had a recording of it read. Um, I couldn't stomach the thought of you guys laughing at me again and again and again. Um, So what I want to do with chapter 8 is I I want to pick out um, a few sections here. I'm going to give you a few things to chew on this morning, okay? The first one is this. Okay, you see a group of people gathered um, and all the names there, chapter 8, 1 through 14, all right, and then pick up in 15 with me. I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jerob, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, Meshulam, the leading men, and of Jerob and Elnathan, who were men of insight, and sent them to Ido the leading man at the place, Casaphia, telling them what to say to Ido and his brothers and the temple servants at the place, Casaphia. Hear this, namely to send us ministers for the house of our God. And by the good hand of God on us, they brought us a man of discretion. So here's this group of people about to make the journey back to Jerusalem and they're camped out at Ahava, Ahava, um, Ahava, They're camped out for three days there. And you see here in this picture, Ezra's walking through the camp. And Ezra's taking a note of who's in his midst. Because that's what a good leader does. And that's what a good shepherd does. As he takes note of the flock, he takes note of the people that are in his midst. That he's in charge of leading to Jerusalem. And he has such intentionality about making his rounds and knowing who's with him that he identifies, hey, there's no sons of Levi here. Right? There's no sons of Levi here. Right? You know, back Old Testament, God had set the Levites apart for a specific task, for a specific person. As God gave the rest of the tribes their portion of the land, right, God told the Levites, hey, you're my portion and I'm your portion. And he had set them apart for, the, uh, for service to the temple. 
right? He had set them apart for that work in God's house. And he said, you're my portion and I'm yours. This is what I have for you. And Ezra was making his rounds in the camp and he realized there's so sons of Levi's here. And so he sends some men into, into the city to ask for the Levites in the city to come make the journey so that when you get to Jerusalem, we have those who are set apart for the work of the temple that are present with us, right? We don't have a shortage of hand for the rebuilding of the temple, for the work and the ministry of the temple. And so God's hand was on Ezra and he sent them sons of Levites. But one of the things that we have to ask here, uh, that you have to ask sitting in your seat this morning, is one of the things that as you read this, you have to go, well, where were they? Right? Where were they? I see my daughter. But where were the Levites? They were set apart for this. They were set apart for this work. But they didn't show up. And so somebody, Ezra, had to go into the city and he had, to, he had to gather them. He had to ask for them. Did they forget? Did they forget what they were set apart for? All this week at camp, we talked to the students about their identity. We talked to the students about who they are in Christ, how Christ defines them. You are set apart. You're set apart for something. You have a specific purpose, right? Psalm 139 wouldn't say that God intricately wove you, that God formed you in your mother's womb, that God knows your thoughts. He knows when you rise. He knows when you lay down. He hemmed you before and behind. Like Psalm 139 wouldn't say that, if God didn't fearfully and wonderfully make you for a purpose, if God didn't set you apart for something specific, do you know who you are? Do you know what you were set apart for? Does somebody have to come and convince you? Hey, remember, come on. Remember who you are? Remember what God set you apart for? Does somebody have to come get you? I think as we move forward, it's important to, uh, 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 to realize um, that we need to be a people who go, who, who go out and get people, not people who have to be come and got, right? I don't want to be the person somebody has to send. Somebody's got somebody's to come get me. Zach, what are you doing? Zach, do you forget? Zach, do you forget 1 Peter 5? When God told you to shepherd the flock of God amongst you, did you forget that? Why aren't you showing up? You are set apart. You have a priesthood in Christ. And so what you need to ask is one, what has God set me apart for? What's he set me apart for in this season? Who am I? 
And you should also ask, what do I need to reorient my life around? Because you see here, the Levites were set apart to serve the temple of God. And the New Testament church is set apart to serve the church. And when I say church, I mean the people. Meaning that because we have been unified in Christ, because the blood of Christ has unified us together as a family, we reorient, the Bible calls us to reorient our lives around one another. That's what Acts 2 and Acts 4 talks about, right? They devoted themselves together to the apostles' teachings, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, to worship, to prayer, right? They reoriented their lives around the church, around one another. That's what the church is set apart supposed to be. That's what we're supposed to be. Let's not be like the Levites and forget and not show up. The person sitting next to you needs you to show up, needs you to be set apart. It's beautiful when the church is the church. I got to watch a lot of leaders this week in the student ministry set themselves apart for the sake of ministry to serve students. It was awesome. Doing things above and beyond because they love students. Because they loved the church. And it was inspiring. It was encouraging. And they went every day from 12 to 9. And then afterwards they hung out in the parking lot. And they played basketball at South at 1 o'clock in the morning. And if you're Paul Grado, you got beat at 1 o'clock in the morning at South. At the hands of your pastor. Is Paul here? There he is, right there. But they were set apart and loved those students. And it was inspiring and encouraging. They reoriented their life around them. What are you set apart for? Look at verse 21. Then I proclaimed to fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way since we had told the king the hand of, God, of our God is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. And so before they left, they stopped and they fasted. They stopped and they fasted. And here is where the rubber meets the road for Ezra, because Ezra recounts and he says, I've told the king before the hand of our God is for the good on all who seek him. And the power of his wrath is against all those who forsake him. I've told the king this. And so Ezra is in this place where the rubber hits the road. And he's like, no, I depend upon God. I depend upon God. I will fast and humble myself and I will depend upon God for the direction and the protection of this journey. Because I can't just give lip service to what I've what I've said, 
or what I believe. I told the king this. Do I believe this or not? The rubber hits the road for Ezra. And so Ezra humbles himself and they fast and he trusts God for their journey and their direction. What you depend upon will reveal what your allegiance is to, right? At the end of the day, when the rubber hits the road, when the ambush comes, right? On the journey, they got ambushed. When you get ambushed and it's coming, when life punches you, what you turn to, what you depend upon will reveal where your allegiance is. And so Ezra has a decision here. I've told the king this, am I a man of my word or is this thing just lip service to me? Do I really, do I really trust God? Does he really have me? Or just when it's convenient? Do I trust God with my marriage? Do I trust God with his word on what his word says about my marriage? about how to be a wife, about how to be a husband? Do I trust his word? Or do I just try to, I try to do, do what I know in my marriage, do what I think's best? Parenting. Do I trust God's word as I seek to raise my kids in the way of the Lord? Or am I getting my parenting skills from the latest Self-help parenting book, because I can't get my kid under wrap. I almost broke last week. I almost bought one. Right? Do you depend upon the word of God for your marriage, for your parenting? How about this? Do you depend upon the word of God to seek how to navigate the cultural climate we live in? Or do you, do, you, do you charge out into the culture, right? You're like, I'm ready to fight. And what comes out is your best pep talk. Or the latest blog that you read. Is that what you go fight with? Because you look like a dork. If that's your fight. <laughs> do you depend upon the word of God to fight? What about your moral compass? Is the word of God, do you depend upon it for your morality, meaning what you decide is good or what you decide is bad or what you do and what you don't do? Who has ownership of that? Who gets the say in that? Do you trust God's word when you meet persecution for his namesake? When you meet trials of various kinds for his name's sake, do you trust his word? What you depend upon will reveal what your allegiance is to. And so the call for all of us from Ezra, humble ourselves. Let's humble ourselves and seek God. Entreat God. Not pretending like we got it figured out. I want to provoke you with 
verse 28. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord and the vessels are holy and the silver and the gold are a free will offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers. He says, you are holy and the vessels you carry are holy. One thing you need to understand about yourself in Christ is that you are righteous, you are holy, you are pure. Whether you believe that about yourself or not, in Christ you are. Whether you felt like that today or not is irrelevant, in Christ you are. Not because you've done enough, but because Christ has done more than enough for you to be righteous, for you to be pure. He's taken all the sin, past, present, future, on the cross with him so that in his righteousness, you would be righteous. Ezra says, you are holy. Hear that, church. You're holy. In Christ, you're righteous. That'll blow your mind if you think about it long enough. Because when you start recounting your sin this morning, you're like, hold on. You mean I'm still righteous? Yeah. Yeah. Christ isn't going to go to the cross again for your sin this morning. He already has. It's grace. And we live in that. And we're compelled by that. But then he says, the vessels are holy. Right? The money, the resources to build the temple. Ezra looks at him and says, hey, the money that you're taking with on this journey to the temple to use in the temple and for building the temple, it's holy too. And I'm like, okay, I never thought about material things being holy, but the more you think about it, what makes it holy is that it's set apart for the glory of God. When you set your money apart for the glory of God, your money becomes holy. It becomes undefiled. It becomes good. When you set your time apart for the glory of God, your time becomes good. It becomes holy. When you set your marriage apart for the glory of God, your marriage becomes good and holy. He says, hey, you're holy and these vessels are holy. They're going to be used for the temple. And so then he gives them the command, guard them and keep them. Guard them and keep them. Guard them and keep them. What's sacred? Are you guarding and keeping what's sacred? Are you guarding and keeping the things that God has given you so that they can be used to the glory of God? Or do we have unholy money spewing out? Do we have unholy time spewing out? Or are we guarding them for the glory of God? And then I love this in 29. He says, guard and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests. So when they get back to Jerusalem, they're going to get to the temple and they're going to weigh everything that they brought on the journey. And the same is true is that when we get to heaven, when we get to the presence of God and we stand before the presence of God, our life will be weighed. And what we've done in this life will be weighed. That's what Paul says. That there will come a time where you will stand before God, every one of us, and give an account for what you've done in the body, whether good or evil. What you guard and keep will be weighed in the end. What you keep sacred will be weighed in the end. 
What's sacred for you? What are things that should be holy that haven't been holy? You've been set apart for the work of ministry. Every one of us. You are needed. You are needed. Desired. Important. Worthy of what God has set you apart for. And on the journey, we depend upon him. And on the journey, we use what God gives us for the glory of him. We keep what's holy, we keep what's sacred, that. The band's going to come back up. The boys. I got I to I say one thing or the other here. Every heart. Um, are going to come back up and they're going to lead us in a song in closing here. Um, but before they do it, I'm going to ask that you stand. And I just want to take a moment, okay? Uh, we're just going to have a moment all right, of quiet here beyond, you know, my kids yelling in the hallway and whatever your kids decide to do. But I want you to ask yourself these three questions, all right, as we prepare to worship. Hey, gorgeous. All right, I want you to ask yourself these three questions. All right, the first one, what has God set you apart for? What has he set you apart for? The second one, how did I depend upon God today? Get real practical. Did I depend upon God today or did I rely on me? And then the third question, after you've asked those two, what's sacred? What am I supposed to guard? What am I supposed to keep? All right, so let's take a few moments. Go through those questions. And I'll read some scripture and we'll worship, okay? Mm-hmm.